afternoon and welcome everybody. This would be the Jeff Cameron Show right here on 979 ESPN Radio. Great to be with you. Good Monday, everybody. Hope you're well. I'm Jeff. That's Director Matthew. We're online at ESPNTallahassee.com. That's where you're going to listen live via the streaming free always. Don't miss anything, but if you do, go back and get caught up at your leisure. We'll post all three hours upon the conclusion of the show uh, to Apple Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts. Thanks for uh, listening to the program. You can email the program if you like, jcs at 979ESPNRadio.com. On Twitter, it's at jcameronshow. Hello, YouTubers. Hope this finds you doing well. Thanks for uh, tuning on in. Might note that all guests appear via the Phone Hero hotline. Phone Hero specializing in iPhone and iPad repair. Two locations. 2915 Cary Forest Parkway, 833 West Gain Street, online at BoneHeroTLH.com. Big weekend for Florida State, eh? I am, um, well, you know, it's funny. The weekend included a lot of uh, sightings, for lack of a better term, of my favorite player in Florida State history, Marvin Jones, Shade Tree, my man Marvin on campus with his son this weekend, and... For the last few days, that's a that's a left the uh, Noel family a buzz because uh, when Marvin makes an appearance, it's a big deal, and it's a really big deal that his kid is seemingly tracking in the same direction of being a superstar player in his own right. One that obviously we hope provides his services with Florida State. Uh, now, that's not a foregone conclusion, the way one might hope, given Marvin's status. When you're being pursued by the likes of Alabama, Ohio State, and every other freaking school in the country that's worth a damn, uh, you you can't just assume that it's going to be Florida State uh, at the end of the day. But very well could be. And let's hope that the Hall of Fame vibes and the atmosphere and the connections and the being around a place in which your father is held in such high regard and achieved so much washes over you and makes you feel compelled to continue this incredible tradition. I'm crossing my fingers. If you'd like to, though, here's what we do know, and you can cue up what them kids doing right here, right now, in the opener, baby. Jibber jabber jiff with a kid bitch. How fast is he rolling? Hey, uh, who, who, who let you in here? Look at him. I bet he can bitch a lot. What them kids doing, Jeff? Always fun. We get to keep doing this, man. I uh I continue to remain so impressed with Coach Norvell and this staff and their ability to sell their message and convince kids that Florida State is the place to come and play football and commit to, at least verbally for now, given that there have been no successes on the field just yet for this staff. And again, Florida State was committed to a major rebuild, a longer overhaul than one would normally have patience for the second they made the decision they did to move on and to bring in another coaching staff because that made three coaching staffs in four years, and that makes – having a level of recruiting consistency and an impact as significant as you'd like to have in order to compete 
to win conference championships, nearly impossible. That kind of instability usually leads to long-term problems. So once you've wrapped your mind around that and committed yourself to the rebuild, you figure we'll take little wins here and there. And to be sure, each of these moments in which we sound the cue for what them kids doing, it is just to note verbal commitments. But that's all you can have right now, and they continue to get an awful lot of them. They got a defensive tackle in Daniel Lyons, prospect from Homestead, Florida. He informed the coaches just yesterday that he's going to go ahead and plan to sign with Florida State. That's the 17th commitment for the class of 2022. The class of 2022 continues to kick ass. It is a class, depending on where you look, that is ranked squarely there in the top 10. Some would even say top five. That's reason to celebrate. That's reason to take notice. That's reason to say, hey, Maybe there's a little optimism out there just yet. These guys have put together and made an impact in every one of these moments that they've had a chance to target players, talk to players, welcome players to campus. They've impressed, and they've executed a plan, and that's been huge. And they continue to do it in the trenches where we also got over the weekend an offensive lineman, and that is exciting. Daughtry Richardson. And Richardson's a kid that grew up in Tallahassee. He's from Tallahassee, has a strong relationship with Alex Atkins, and eventually that led to a yes. Now, he was down at Miami Central, but this was home, and I'm sure that played a part, along with the continued successes of Alex Atkins in the world of recruiting. My goodness gracious, this man is a freaking hero. If I'm going to read about offensive and defensive uh Defense alignment saying yes to Florida State over and over again. In large part, Odell's done a good job, and certainly Alex Atkins has, as Florida State continues to stockpile offensive linemen, and they're not done yet. I believe that's the fifth offensive – yes, it is – the fifth offensive line commit to say yes to Florida State for the class of 2022. Then I'm just going to be a happy man on a regular basis. Because that's how you get things turned around. As Jimbo once said, it's time to bring in some grown-ass men. Let's uh, change the line of scrimmage. It allows everything else to take place that we fall in love with, and that is big plays, right? Those are big plays that skilled players make. It's not possible to execute them on offense if you can't block. It's not possible to stop them on defense if you can't control the line of scrimmage. We've been able to do neither for several years now, and it is exhausting to watch a brand of football in which you get bullied every weekend by middling teams, and you get absolutely brutalized by the good ones. No chance to have fun watching a product like that. No chance to win games that matter if that's where you're at. So getting yeses one by one, whether it was the yes from Ontavius Woody or Kayshawn Sapp or the Kenyatta Charlton or Oluba, whomever, it's enough to buoy you and get you through the week. At least when you wrap your mind around where Florida State football is at, at least when you begin to think, How soon can we compete? Like if you're trying to put those pieces together, you're trying to figure it all out, you're asking yourself, 
Well, what's reasonable? And really, I think that's one of the biggest questions of the offseason. It's one of the biggest questions as we get closer and closer to the start of camp, which begins the first week in August. I know we're all uh, excited beyond reason for that. Now you can just you can smell it. You can taste it. I mean, it's July the 26th. It's about time to get it on. Getting this kind of news and knowing that there may be more forthcoming, it's amazing to look at the numbers that they're throwing at the problem. And the problem being the offensive line. Uh, you know, if you're going to continue, you know, you got five now. Looks like you may get six, seven here in the very near future. Uh, to me, I think if you just do the math, it doesn't seem likely that you're going to end up with uh, uh, eight offensive linemen or seven offensive linemen. I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe you do, I guess. I, it would seem to me that somebody's going to decide, oh, that's too many. I'm going to go somewhere else, probably. But, you, that, you know, you can't concern yourself with that. you got a remedy to the problem. I remember um, Matt Millen, loathed as he was by Detroit Lion fans for getting it wrong an awful lot when he was GM, swung and missed quite frequently at wide receiver, but he kept drafting him. And when he was asked why, he said, you know, just because you drafted a receiver two years ago doesn't mean you can't draft one now, especially when that one that you drafted sucks. You kind of have to keep picking them until you get it right. Now, if your anger is with me for not getting it right a few times, I understand. But if you're asking me why I'm drafting another receiver, did you watch us play? Yeah, for Florida State, it's kind of the same mentality here. Like, okay, we're going we're gonna to offer another offensive lineman and another one and another one and allegedly another one? Yeah, yeah, yes, I am. Yes, I am. I'm tired of this. One of these kids is going to be able to play. I'd like to believe two or three. I'll offer six or seven, and maybe four will be able to play. But we've got to get this fixed because you can't win any other way. And it's nice when, in this case, when you get a kid um, that you're competing with Miami for, again, it's a, it's a win-win. Uh, you not only add to uh, your offensive line prospects, but you also keep one away from Miami. So that, too, is huge. And, by the way, in the case of uh, Daughtry Richardson, uh, he projects as an offensive tackle. I know on this show we've had discussions before. I don't spend nearly as much time on recruiting as a lot of other sites do, and I understand that, but I do pay attention because, again, I'll repeat over and over again, it's not lost on me that it's the lifeblood of any program that you bring in good football players and that you fill needs with said football players. So this is a group that uh, even though we've thrown numbers at the problem, a lot of them aren't necessarily projected as tackles. So when you get one that is, okay, good, now we got one because it's been a while since we've had worthwhile tackle play. Ira uh, Chaffel, Warchant.com, will join me in the beginning of the 4 o'clock hour. We'll go over some of this, look at those numbers, and look at the messaging from Florida State, what the coaches are doing right, the guys that deserve our praise right now. Again, I get it. It's uh, I just got done alluding to the date. It's July the 26th, and you've still got a long way to go in order to try to get these kids uh, to sign on the line, which is dotted, uh, when the tie becomes – uh, nigh, but uh, you know, I it, it's interesting. A lot of this feels like the momentum that was mocked by Manny Diaz and others. Um, because what I mean by that is when you get a few big names and they have a few really big names, first and foremost, Mr. Hunter, 
when you get kids like that to say yes, and they're of the caliber of player that he is, it can have a huge impact in swaying the minds and hearts of those kids who might otherwise be looking elsewhere. And so it feels like the class, in addition to the successes of the coaches and the pitch and what they've been able to sell, uh, probably playing time, probably you know opportunity and all of that, uh, immediate playing time, uh, but, but also I, I do appreciate that they seemingly have been very, very blunt and honest with these kids about where they're at and where they think those kids could help them go. Um, in addition to selling that successfully, you need some of the kids in the class to be high-profile kids who will then help you also – uh, persuade these others who might otherwise not be looking at your program. And it appears that's happening too. Jeff Cameron Show, 97.9 ESPN Radio. Hello, I'm Travis Sparkman, owner of T-Spark Enterprises. Rain season is upon us, and we get calls for water intrusion in residential and commercial space every time it rains. Most people see a ceiling stain, and they think they have a roof leak. We see a ceiling stain and begin to investigate because often we find it's not a roof leak. Many of our leak investigations lead to other building construction issues outside of the roof. We beg you, don't pay for roof repairs when the water intrusion may be a masonry leak or a poor construction design in your home or business. Give us a call at 766-1340 and let our experienced leak technicians diagnose the problem and prevent you from throwing away good money. License number CCC 133-1204. Certainly have more uh, thoughts on this. Uh, probably at the end of this hour, I'll, I'll get into some of my concerns about what we're seeing here with Texas and Oklahoma. I do know this. You basically can all but say goodbye to the Big 12 and goodbye to Texas and Oklahoma because that transition from the Big 12 to the SEC has begun. They announced today, did the schools, they will not renew their grant of rights agreement with the Big 12 They plan to honor, quote-unquote, their existing agreements through 2024-2025. The joint statement, uh, really, it's the first step uh, that those two schools have uh, made on their way to leaving the conference, uh, though the timing of their departure remains a little bit unknown still. The Longhorns and Sooners stating publicly that they are willing to remain with the Big 12 through the expiration of the Grant of Rights Agreement could be uh, really, as some would say, and I know I read today in the piece from um, Ben Kerchevel of uh, CBS Sports, that that is likely legal posturing, that they're not, they're not going to wait that out. And if you figure that they would up, if they would owe somewhere in the neighborhood of 74 to $80 million, each of them, to the Big 12 as a penalty for leaving, um, that's, that's not much. 
with what uh, they're with, where they're moving towards and what the SEC could do. So uh, that that seems like uh, that'll be that. Um, those efforts have failed to try to keep them in the conference. Um, there was this thought that uh, the Big 12 would pitch the idea to Texas and Oklahoma that would uh, award them more money uh, in the media rights revenue, uh, and it would bump their payouts up. Uh, but the other schools, you know, at that point would have decreased their payouts accordingly. And uh, I don't know, this just, this, it doesn't look like it's going to, no, not only does it not look like it's going to work, it's not going to work. That It's over. So, of course, this changes college football in a lot of ways, maybe not as in many as, as people think. I think there's a bigger picture discussion to be had here about college football and where we're headed. And I think that's the discussion that everybody wants to have. The, the other discussion that everybody wants to have that I'm going to have in a minute is about what the hell is going to happen with FSU. <laughs> and, you know, it's so funny because I spend most of my time right now thinking about how quickly can Florida State be relevant in this conference, which is already lagging miles behind the SEC. Ultimately, we know that the ACC is, is struggling to keep up, as are all the other conferences not named the Big Ten. Um now the Big 12 is is rendered uh, moot, so it's it's us, it's the ACC and the Pac-12 that are uh, that remain. And what decisions those conferences make moving forward will be very interesting because I don't know that it's worth it to you to just acquire some teams to acquire some teams. In fact, I've kind of thought aloud here a couple of times. Are there some people you can get rid of if you wanted to bring in some other teams? Could you start looking at markets? So I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. Could you start looking and projecting way out ahead and say, why don't we look at um, the top media markets in the country? How about uh, Houston? Could you bring in Houston? Could. What if you took Houston and then told Wake Forest to have a good day? Or Syracuse, for example. In fact, how about Syracuse? Or Boston College? That'd be a step in the right direction. We're going to bring in Houston, and we're going to tell Syracuse to have a good day. Then we're going to tell Boston College, it's been nice. We're going to welcome in UCF. And then, you know, you see where I'm going here? That's kind of more of what I, Now, listen, this it, these are paltry steps to take, you know, given what you're up against. You're not going to surpass the SEC. But as Iris Chaffel pointed out, you don't have to. You just got to remain in the the larger discussion to be right there as second or third. You can't pee. Well, you get the drift. I'm not. You know what? Every day we move closer to this season getting started, the more I think about this season and what has to happen this season for, I mean, we just got done talking about the exciting developments in the 2022 recruiting class. And my thought is on this thing for the long haul. Now I, I get that you can get buried under an avalanche of negativity thinking about, well, what's going to happen five years from now, six years from now to college football, to the ACC, to those not in the SEC. And yes, that is a, uh, a talking point, certainly, but I'd rather bring it back home to the now and talk about the steps towards being relevant and being good again in this conference, in the ACC, and how that happens. Because in order to have any chance to deal with the other stuff, you got to be good here. And we haven't been any good here in a very long time. It's, it's infinitely more frustrating to think about that in my mind. 
So what does this season entail? What does this season include? What does this season, what does it have to be for us to be able to take a big step forward and eventually get to a place where, you know, Clemson's having a very different discussion right now about what they're going to do. They're having that discussion while sitting atop the ACC by a million miles and thus easily walking into yet another appearance in the college football playoff. That's a different vantage point to be having this discussion from where we're sitting, where it's, I'm really concerned about this, this, and this down the line, but, oh, yeah, man, how about we concern ourselves with being better than sorry-ass Louisville or Boston College or Wake in our own Atlantic division? Because since I have besmirched Syracuse several times over in this segment, I will do it again. I think that's the lone team that I'm going to bet we are certainly better than coming into this season is Syracuse. (laughs) That's it. Maybe Louisville, maybe Wake, maybe BC. Well, therein lies the discussion. What do we got to get to to make sure that that happens? Because if you are, okay, okay, now, now there's real progress. Now there's light at the end of the tunnel. Now there's a feeling that um, we're going to be having talks that, that matter. Um, and I think, I think, you know, it's, it's funny because when you, I was, I, I played golf this week at Corn Country Club and I, I, I run into people wherever I go. I run into people. It's always fun. It's great. It's uh, nice to meet people who listen to the program. Nice to, to meet people who are so kind and congratulating us on our move to warchant.com and 93.3 FM and you know, how you know, how can I get the Jeff Cameron show moving forward? I love these talks. Invariably, those talks quickly turn from that to Florida State and projections of the season to be and all of those sorts of things. And what I've been gauging more than anything else, I've talked about this a lot as we get closer to the season, is how disparate the views of the fan base as what's to come. There's the casual fan that thinks because of who Florida State is and what they should be and what they were for so long that just assumes that given that they're in a middling conference and that there's some now st- stability, we're not in the middle of, a, uh, of, of, of debating whether or not the season's going to happen, um, you know, unlike last year. So the thought being that, okay, things are beginning to return to normalcy. There's real evidence from the coaching staff successes in getting these verbal commitments and hosting these recruiting uh, weekends that, that maybe now that we've got our ducks in a row with all of this adding up to what an eight win, nine win season. There's that fan who's just kind of like, Oh, now that things have been normalized, we've got a chance to win nine games, right? Like, Whoa, 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 they're a killer. Then there's the fan that is as pessimistic as they come, and when they ask me what I think is going to happen, I say, you know, I think Vegas's number is a pretty good number. I could see six and six, seven and five. They're like, oh, my goodness, Jeff. That's insane. This team will be lucky to win two games. <laughs> I crack up when I hear that one. Like, well, who's closer to being right? I think the guy that says two games is closer to being right than the guy that says nine games. Mm, do I? Uh, it's close. Two is overly pessimistic, to say the least. Uh, the, what, you got us against uh, UMass and was it Jacksonville State? <laughs> is that it? Uh, no, I think we'll work at a win somewhere else. 
we'll work in a win somewhere else, guys. But that that one makes me laugh. That's fun. That's the. Uh, I had a guy say that this week in six. No, we'll be lucky to win two games, Jeff. <laughs> like, good lord, man! I think at the bare minimum we're going to get better quarterback play. Um, and that's not a knock on Jordan Travis, who did everything in his power to make something out of nothing behind an offensive line that was a sieve and very little talent at wide receiver. I mean, that guy had to scramble to save his life. But I think I think the combination, let's put it that way, the combination of McKenzie Milton and Jordan Travis seems to suggest to me that they'll get more consistent and better and more dynamic play at quarterback. Jeff Cabot, Show 97.9 ESPN Radio. My boys might look rough, but they're not tough between me and you, though they can be crooked. Like the girl less that's going on about He just said she's got a pretty mouth So you see What I'm dealing with You know, I didn't make much of it heading towards it because I wasn't sure it was going to happen. I'm speaking of the Olympics, but every time the Olympics rolls around, and although this one is truly unique given the uh, obstacles they're having to overcome, uh, my viewing habits are no different than past Olympics where I feel somewhat indifferent to the vast majority of the sports that I don't watch anyhow, but certainly respect the athletes who participate in. But then... It happens. I eat dinner on a Sunday and 60 minutes or whatever is what I'm awaiting. And next thing you know, I'm catching some Olympic stuff. And the next thing you know, it's 1130 at night and I've been watching Olympics for five hours and I'm absolutely riveted. They got me again. And it's because truly we do love to celebrate excellence and competition and the stories behind the Olympic athletes are always, well, there's no shortage anyhow of incredible stories that are uh, highly motivational and moving and the best of who we are as people. It's always awesome to immerse yourself in that. And I'm always reminded of that when the Olympics starts, that maybe I hate the IOC, maybe I dislike the way the process plays out, and oftentimes there are sports that, uh, in large part, I'm in complete uh, indifference towards. But then there are those that um, I marvel at, certainly any Olympic athlete who has dedicated uh, the whole of their life to uh, this endeavor is worthy of our uh, our praise uh, and attention, anyhow. Uh, but watching swimmers and watching gymnasts in particular, I am absolutely blown away. I, I watch that. I mean, even though right now it's just the qualifying, you know, you're watching uh, the women's gymnastic team yesterday, last night. I, I, I'm blown away. I, how do human beings... How does anybody do that? You know how strong you have to be? I just think about this all the time. And I was showing my boys last night. I'm like, look at look at how strong she is. Simone Briles is who we're looking at, along with the entire team. Just It's not just acrobatic, athletic, explosive, and um, awe-inspiring, but just, damn, the strength in your core and the fearlessness. And then, and then endurance sports, of course, like swimming, when you watch these guys, I mean, up, like two feet out of the pool for the breaststroke, you're like, that's one strong SOB. Can't fathom it. So I was riveted. I did not catch this, but I thought it was pretty cool. 
For just the second time since 1992, a country besides China has claimed gold in an Olympic table tennis event. Woo! It's happened! Somebody else has finally won something on the table tennis courts. Here we go. They're not courts, but you know what I mean. Good on you, Japan. Jun Mizutani and Mima Ito. Nailed it. Have interrupted China's decades-long dominance and won on Monday night. It was mixed doubles, and they whooped that ass. All righty. Before the shocking loss, China had been more dominant in table tennis than even the U.S. in basketball, Russia in weightlifting, steroids, South Korea in archery. Because we all know when we talk about world dominance in sport, the first thing I bring up is South Korea and archery. If you had that friend who routinely beat somebody's ass and say chess, you're like, Jesus, Kevin's like South Korea and archery. <laughs> Anyhow, if you're not like that, you can be now, and it would be funny. Uh, the Chinese had won 28 of 32 table tennis gold medals since 1988. Get the hell out of here with that nonsense. Somebody's got to rise up. And it has now happened. See? There's your little nugget. There you go. Give you a little nugget. Jeff Cameron Show, 97.9 ESPN Radio. And I spent the weekend talking to people all around, well, the Southeast. (laughs) I was going to say the country, but the vast majority of the people I talked to were, in fact, in the Southeast. And we were talking about the impact of Oklahoma and Texas to the SEC and what it would have on college football and what it would have on Florida State in particular, because most of these people that I spoke with, not all, but most, are huge Florida State fans, alumni, boosters, supporters of uh, various forms. And others are just diehard fans of college football, which tend to be those that reside in the South. Uh, I'm not saying there aren't pockets throughout the nation in which college football is uh, hugely popular, but none of them equate to the fanaticism that we see in the Southeast. I am a huge college football fan. And so I, I tend to look at it a little bit more big picture um, and less, uh, less about Florida State. Now, yes, I have my concerns, but those concerns have been in place for some time in regards to Florida State falling behind um, its, its big-time college football brethren, given that the vast majority of them with whom they seek to compete, uh, are in the SEC. 
uh, the exception being Clemson. Now, obviously, we are our rivals with Miami, but they're in the same boat we are, and in many ways, we're better off. But you're competing for players because you'd like to win the national championship. That's where, when this school is operating at peak efficiency, they reside in that conversation. And trying to outdo Georgia, Florida, Alabama, Auburn, on down the line, um, is in, is becoming increasingly more difficult as we see the vast um, gulf of monies uh, that are accumulated by schools in the SEC and those in the ACC. And on that note, nothing really changed um, with the thought of Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC. Uh, the, the, the gulf was already wide, already significant enough to present a rather momentous problem, uh, you know, a sizable issue. I don't know that it changes all that much. At some point, there are diminishing returns. Um, but, but I will say this. I, I chose, again, to take a big-picture view of this because my, my greater concern is for the sport of college football and what it's losing. Now, this gets very, very intricate because, on the one hand, I believe that the players have been shortchanged in college football for a very long time and have been in favor of a system very different from the one that's been in place for a very long time, one that would see players able to benefit uh, given that they're the labor. And that was never a discussion that was black and white. It wasn't that if you do this, then do this for the players and all will be well. No, it was always going to be much more complicated than that. And we've, of course, tried to vet that over the years. And all of us have had our say and given our two cents. And some of it over the years we've adopted and changed when we learned more about how the process works. But beginning a few years ago, when I started doing work for Sirius XM, both on the PGA Tour network, uh, PGA Tour channel, I should say, but also on ESPNU, which is what it was called then. Uh, the call-ins, I remember at that time, would be about where was college football headed. And when we talked more about the big picture of college football, we said, it seems to me, and I talked about this last week, like we were headed down a path that wasn't very pretty, that there was going to be a need for two separate football realities, that there was going to have to be um, those that sought to compete in what looks to be a semi-professional or professional brand of football and those that are the rest of college football that can't do that and don't want to dip their toes in those waters. And that they would have to branch out separately. Remember, this is why you've heard the call for perhaps, say, a league of 64 teams or maybe even smaller or four super conferences, right? But 64, four, 16 teams. Remember, we, we've talked about this. And that would be one brand of football, and it would govern. they would have an entirely separate group that governed that than the NCAA. And the NCAA has moved closer and closer to being irrelevant now for years, and it's had its legs absolutely cut out from under it with these decisions. These decisions now, so for example, this latest one that we're all talking about, that we're all abuzz about, Texas and Oklahoma, what is this about? Well, this is about money. This is about money. 
and the decisions being made by the member institutions of the SEC, who are also member institutions of the NCAA, are being governed solely by the money, which means the NCAA matters less and less and has less and less say as to how its sport is run. So here's what I continued to think about over the weekend when I talked with those that are concerned about all of this. So if you are moving towards a place like we have been the last few years where the vast majority of the teams that participate in college football are shut out from the possibility of competing for championships, then you're doing what? You're moving towards what? A professional sports league. College football has always been different than pro football. There has been a charm to college football that doesn't exist in pro football. Now, you can like both immensely, but you knew you were looking at something entirely different when you watched pro football as opposed to college football. Now, that's at least not for that league anyhow, looking to be much different at all. And many would argue and I've certainly read something similar to this thought over the last, um, well, recently for the last several days I've heard it, but I've also, you know, again, in having those conversations with people, um, you know, guys like Pete Futek and others have have said for a while, if we're moving towards a professional or more professional league, then you got a problem on your hands because, A, you exclude everybody else playing college football who can't afford to compete in that uh, at that level, and, B, there's already a professional sports uh, football league, and they do it better than college. It's called the NFL. So there's nothing unique then about college football that separates it. It's just become It's just fighting to become the same thing, and it can't do it as well. And, and that's problematic. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I don't know what the answer is, but, you know, again, it's, it's you are, you're heading towards the ruination of college football as to what it means to people who have always said that they're big-time college football fans and they don't care for pro football. Like that group is, that has always been a very different group, right? A very distinct group. I know people who love and watch college football really don't care for the NFL. Now, I know the opposite too. I know plenty of people who are like, I'm not watching college football. Why would I watch college football? I just want to see the best of the very best do what they do with none of these blurred lines. I know those guys are getting paid. I know those owners are billionaires. I know what this is all about. I know that this is gladiatorial and let's let the best of the best go to war. I don't need to see amateurs quote-unquote do it i'll see the best there are in the world so i'll just watch pro football i know both sides i know both sides of that argument but it is true that most of the rest of the country that is engaged and likes college football let's say if you're in the midwest or if you're out west you don't really care anything about the people of the sec the teams of the sec you don't care anything about it but if that's the only group that can compete to win championships or that they would take up in an expanded playoff eight of the 12 teams, you're going to stop watching more than you already have. We could go on. It's, um, it's going to be interesting, though. Uh, it, it's, it's a great fear that football fans, college football fans, I'm just talking about college football fans have, that this is moving more and more towards professional football. Some people say, hey, good, and remove the uh, subtleties here. 
remove all of the nonsense and let's get straight to it. But there's still a lot to work out and to figure out for college football to continue to excel and succeed. This has been more and more when they talk about expansion, college football expansion. Well, more teams have to have a chance. Well, are they going to have? Are more teams going to have a chance? I mean, I, I don't really think so. I, I, I think, I guess in theory. But this will be. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how many people care about college football because. If it moves more in that direction, only the people in the SEC will care about college football. It's Jeff Cameron Show, 97.9 ESPN Radio. You just gotta-